All right, we've been going through the Old Testament. We're up to 2 Samuel chapter 9. We had a chance to kind of get a glimpse of this passage last time. But as we're going through this section, there's some amazing pictures of Christ and what he did when he saved us. So this passage is, is very rich with pictures of Christ and what he's done for us. So I know uh, although we started last time, we're going to go back to the beginning of this chapter because you don't want to miss anything in this story. This is one of the most amazing passages in the Old Testament to really bring out for us uh, Christ and his love for us and what he did for us. So we're going we're gonna to go through this and kind of walk through it a little slowly. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, so hopefully it'll, it'll really bless you. I mean, this is an amazing passage. So here we are in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 1. And David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And you remember that, you know, Jonathan is uh, Saul's son and Jonathan was killed in battle. So uh, David was very close with him. They were closer than brothers, we're told. They had a, a very deep love in the Lord and a good walk in the Lord together. So uh, David wants to do something for him, and he's going to bring that up here as we get in here a little further. But at this point in time, David is, is very prosperous. I mean, things are going very well for him. Uh, he's been in close to the Lord, walking with the Lord, seeing some amazing things as God has raised him up to be in this position of being the king of Israel. And uh, during this time of prosperity, when uh, things are going so well for him and this time of great success, you know, it's amazing to me that David's going to take the time to stop and to think about others. And uh, we mentioned this last time a little bit, you know, uh, we can tell how mature we are in Christ by how often we think of helping others. You know, as before we knew the Lord, the only thing on our radar was us. We were all about me. But once we come to Christ and he starts to build his heart in us and give us his character all of a sudden we seem to be wanting to do, do things for others more. So as we see David's heart here, I mean, you know, a lot of times when we get to a place where things are going well, uh, seems like we want to just kick back and relax, and that might be the American in us or something, you know. But David, when he's at this point where things are going really good, and he could do that, he could just kick back and relax, his heart is, what can I do to bless somebody else, you know? And that's an awesome thing. Another thing that's interesting is uh, David here, he's asking about helping another person, you know, somebody that's in the family line of Saul. Earlier, we saw in chapter 7 when things were going well for David too, the Lord had really blessed him and things were, were pretty high for him. At that point, he asked, what can I do for God? And he was talking about building a permanent home for him. So the Lord lets us see an amazing thing about David's heart. When he gets to the point of things going good, then he's, he's thinking about, what can I do for the Lord? What can I do for people? You know, And that's kind of unusual for us. seems like when we get to that point, it's usually we're, we're kicking back and saying, man, this is really nice. I'm enjoying this. Of, I'm not doing anything and just enjoying all the blessings God given me uh, rather than stopping like that. So David's got a really, really good heart. And uh, you think of what the Lord had said, you know, we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love others as ourselves, our neighbor as ourselves. David has that character about him, and uh, that's probably why the Lord keeps bringing up, you know, that here's a man after my own heart, because uh, he's, he's really amazing in what he does there. So here's David now, 
And he wants to do this kindness to any of Saul's family line that may still be alive. And he's doing this because of Jonathan, Saul's son, that had made a covenant with David, you know, that he would show kindness to his family. Now, this is kind of strange, too, that David would be reaching out to do this because Saul had treated David like an enemy, if you remember, okay? So David now is going to show kindness to Saul's family. And like I said, we see a lot of pictures of the Lord uh, surfacing in this section here. Uh, Here's David doing what we're told to love our enemies. And David's going to show kindness to the family of Saul. And David didn't choose Saul as an enemy. uh, Saul treated him that way. So interesting, kind of keep that in the back of your mind as we look at this too. Now going on to verse 2. There was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David... The king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, at your service. Then the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may may show the kindness of God? So when we look at the words of the covenant that Jonathan made with David, and let's do that. Let's look back at 1 Samuel, back at 1 Samuel chapter 20. We saw this uh, last time as well a little bit, but a good refresher for us. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, we've got the story of Jonathan making this covenant deal with David. In uh, in 1 Samuel 20 down to verse 14, Jonathan says, You shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord. Notice that phrase. I want you to show the kindness of the Lord to me while I still live, that I may not die, because he doesn't want David to take him out when he becomes king. But you shall not cut off your kindness from my house, forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, let uh, the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. So you notice that Jonathan wanted to show, uh, have the, David to show the kindness of the Lord to his family. And when it says here, he doesn't want David to uh, cut off uh, any one of that of uh, the, the kindnesses to his family line, it means that he doesn't want David to ever stop showing kindness to them. That's a real interesting thought. <clears throat> so Jonathan, he's amazing in the way he covered things. He's saying, David, I don't want you to just, you know, kind of tip your hat to this and show kindness to my family a little bit and then wake up one day and decide to wipe them all out. I want you to never stop showing kindness to my family. And when we look back at our passage today in 2 Samuel chapter 9, it's interesting that David in verse 3 used the same phrase there where he said, I want to show the kindness of God to Saul's family line. So it's interesting here, and think through this with me. We should be showing the kindness of God to those people who are around us every day, you know, like family members, loved ones, people that we work with. And we should be also looking for opportunities to show the kindness of God to others as well. Uh, You know, when our missions team, when they were over in Poland in some of the areas where the Lord sent them, they were able to do just that. They said that there were times where they were able to just kind of reach out and help someone who had a need. And they said the attention they got from bystanders when they did that was amazing. Uh, these people were not used to seeing someone who was willing to, you know, help a person that they didn't know. And they were shocked to see this kindness of God in action. And, you know, the people that 
that you and I get a chance to help in that way too are probably going to have the same kind of response. When people experience the kindness and grace of God, something that, that wasn't earned or deserved, it can overwhelm them. You know, thinking about our popcorn ministry, sometimes we'll hand a free bag of popcorn to someone and they'll be shocked that it's really free, you know, with no strings attached. And some people will even try to pay for it or make a donation to the church. And our response is always, no, thank you. We just want you to know that God loves you. So this week, coming up here, pray, you know, that the Lord would give you an open eye and an open heart, ready to show the kindness of God to someone. And let's see what the Lord's going to do through that. You know, as we maybe focus our attention. And I just say it's a reminder to pray that way because I know the enemy will try to distract us. He's very good at trying to get us off target. So if you haven't been thinking about that lately and it's not a very a super normal practice for you, then, then pray and ask the Lord to really help you be ready to show God's kindness to someone. You know, like I was saying too, uh, we should be showing that kindness of the Lord to those who are around us every day. You know, husbands should be showing God's kindness to their wives. Families should be showing God's kindness to each other. And you know, the Lord tells us in Ephesians 4, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So when we show God's kindness to someone, it's not our kindness, it's God's kindness, okay? That's a kindness that cannot be earned. You know, it's, it's freely given, not because it's deserved. And now that's why it's a divine kindness, because it's actually based on God's unconditional love. You know, so when David was wanting to show the kindness of God here to any of Saul's relatives that were alive, it wasn't because they deserved it. Like we said, Saul actually treated him like an enemy for quite a few years. But it was actually based on the covenant that he made with Jonathan. So in the same way, God shows us his kindness all the time because of the new covenant that Jesus made for us too. Now look back to Second uh, Samuel 9, down in the middle of verse 3 there. As David had said, isn't there anybody from the house of Saul I can show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, where is he? So David found out that there is someone from Saul's family that's still alive. And better yet, it was Jonathan's own son. So David was anxious now to find out uh, where this guy was living. And he asked the question, where is he at? You know, and that's the question that we can ask ourselves. Where are these people at that we can show the kindness of God to? And of course, the answer is, they're everywhere. <laughs> okay, the people sitting next to you, the people that you're going to see when you leave here today, the people that you're going to see tomorrow and the next day and the next day, these are all people that need to see the true kindness of God. So don't hold back. You know, if you're a Christian, then you have that divine kindness inside of you because you've got the Holy Spirit. You know, and as long as you're not quenching the Spirit, then the fruit of the Spirit is there to be seen. You know, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and kindness is one of the things mentioned. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, the Lord told us, too, he has already poured out his love into our hearts. 
In Romans 5, it says, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So don't think for one minute that you don't have divine kindness within you. You know, the devil might lie to you and tell you that you don't have that, but don't believe his lies because that's what they are. He's lying to you. And you might even say, well, I must not have God's love and kindness in me because it never seems to show in my life. Well, I'd have to say then, quit living so selfishly in the flesh, you know. Start walking in the Spirit, focusing on the Lord constantly, and you'll begin to see the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You know, there's so many people out there who need to see God's love and kindness, and we shouldn't let anything stop us from showing it to them. So go back to your passage in uh, verse 4 here. So the king said to him, uh, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lobar. So he tells him where this guy is at, uh, whose house he's, he's living in, and even the location where he's at in a place called Lodabar. So when David finds out that this, this man, his name is Mephibosheth, we'll see in a little bit here, when he sees that, that uh, Jonathan's son is living in another man's house, it should tell him a few things. First of all, Mephibosheth must be pretty poor because he doesn't even have his own house to live in. And that's kind of understandable. He's lame, so it's got to be hard for this guy to do any kind of work, right? And secondly, another thing that, that David should get from this, this guy's probably been in hiding, fearing that David's going to one day come and eliminate any of the line of the family of Saul that's left, and that would be him too. So that's a pretty common practice in the ancient world back then. A new king would come in and he would kill the children of the farmer rulers so that they wouldn't try to regain the throne for the family again. That was not too unusual. So normally, this guy would be, uh, have, this would be totally, un, it wouldn't be totally unfounded for him to have this kind of fear that maybe David's going to come after me someday, you know, because I am of the family line of, of Saul and there might be those who think uh, Saul's family needs to stay on the throne. So he might be thinking that would, was going to happen. But in the case of David, I mean, if you knew David, you know that's an unfounded fear because he's not like that. And Mephibosheth is about to find that out. So in verse 5 it says, Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. So this is where we're going to begin to see some of these amazing pictures of Jesus. You see this place here called Lodabar, that name actually means no pasture. So there's no pasture land. We see the spiritual picture here, that when Jesus saves a sinner, they have been in a place where there is no spiritual pasture land. You know, but Jesus said in John 10, I am the door. If any man enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. What amazing blessing from the Lord. So he takes the sinner from the land of Lodabar where there is no pasture and brings him in to his own rich pasture, you know? And you think about that. We were in that place at one time. We were in Lodabar before we came to know Christ, a place where there is no spiritual pasture. There is no spiritual feeding until you come to Christ. But when Christ sent for us, just like David here 
sent for Mephibosheth, you know. When the Lord sent for us and he brought us, just like David was doing here, that's when Christ saved us. And now you and I can go in and out. We can find that pasture that's very rich that our good shepherd has for us. You know, I hope we take advantage of that. We can feed on God's word. We couldn't do that before we knew Christ. You could read the Bible as a lost person, but you're not going to get anything from it because you don't have the Spirit teaching you the things of the Lord. But now, because we know the Lord, we're his family, we're his sheep, we can go to this pasture and we can partake of it. You know, we can go in and out, we can find rest, we can go to the Word and find that nourishment, and it's just amazing what God has done for us. So this picture here, I hope we take these to heart, you know, these pictures like this place, Lodabar. You may not have known you've been there, but you have before you came to Christ. Verse 6 goes on. It says, now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David. So David had sent for him, and now he, he comes. And he fell on his face, and he prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, here is your servant. So we see this picture, uh, this guy who's been brought before him, and the first thing he does is hit the ground. He's, he's right in front of David, humbling himself, and David even checks to make sure, are you the guy? And he says, yes, I am. I'm your servant. That's what he calls himself. So he was very humble when he came to David, and he came as a servant. You know, that's what he says, I am your servant. Now think of that picture, because that's exactly how a person has to come to Christ for salvation. You have to come humbly, and you need to have the attitude of a servant. Do you remember when the Apostle Paul first met the Lord on the road to Damascus? Paul said, Lord, what do you want me to do? <laughs> he had that heart of a servant when he realized he is speaking to the Lord God Almighty. So Paul had the servant attitude also when he first came to the Lord, and I think that's the way we need to come when we come to the Lord for salvation. We come humbly. We, the Lord will not give us salvation in our pride. We have to be humble before him, and we also have to be willing to serve him. You know, Jesus is looking for followers. He's not looking for folks who just put a name tag on or wear the Christian T-shirt. He's looking for somebody who's going to follow him, and uh, this is a good picture of that. Another interesting thing here, his name, Mephibosheth, that's actually made up of two parts to put that name together. And those two parts mean to break in pieces is the meaning of the one part. And the other one is shame. So you think about that. That's a good description of every person that's a sinner. We are broken because of our sin. We're not the way God intentionally originally made us. So we're broken. And we also have shame because of our sin too. So his very name is kind of the picture and the name of sinners, broken and in shame. And even the description the Lord gives us here of Mephibosheth has a spiritual lesson with it too. We're told that he was lame. And why was he lame? Because of a fall that took place. Think about this. The fall of Adam and Eve, when they fell into sin, that left all of us lame and unable to walk as God originally intended for us to walk. And just like David wanted to bless Mephibosheth and take care of him, that's what the Lord wants to do with sinners. 
You know, that's a hard one, I know, for people to swallow. Uh, they're convinced. A lot of folks seem that, that God just wants to crush people because they're sinners. That's not what God is like at all, you know? He doesn't want to destroy sinners. He wants to save sinners. He's into restoration and reconciliation. He's really not in the destruction business. That's a lie that I think the enemy has spread around, and sometimes it's even creeped into churches where, you know, we think that we're supposed to be hard on people and stay on top of people and things like that. God says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ, right? So, yeah, God's into restoration, reconciliation, building up. He's, that's the kind of business he has. He's got a construction business, not a destruction business. Uh, Looking at verse 7. So David said to him, he's got Mephibosheth right in front of him now, the guy that he's been wanting to bless. And he, it's, I think it's hard for David even to imagine. This is actually Jonathan's son, the man that he had such great love for. So David said to him, do not fear. First thing he tells him, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. Man, that's awesome in itself. And he said, I will restore to you all the land of Saul your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Now look at the wonderful things that David said to Mephibosheth. The first thing he told him was not to be afraid. And you know, he must have been terrified when David's messengers came knocking at his door. He's probably thinking, I knew this day was going to come. And where am I going to go? I can't even run away. I'm lame. So He's probably thinking, this is it, you know. It's over for me. David's men are coming. I'm going to be taken there, and I'll be put to death in some fashion. And David probably figured, you know, that this is what Mephibosheth was thinking. He maybe even saw him trembling a little bit as he's coming close, you know. So the first thing David does is to dispel this fear for Mephibosheth. He wants him to know that I did not call you here to kill you. That's not why I brought you. And you know what? That's what the Lord tells us when we come to Christ, that we do not need to be afraid. You know, the Lord's not out to destroy us. He wants to save us. You know, first, or, uh, the Gospel of John chapter 3 and verse 17, it's one of those forgotten verses because it comes right after John 3.16, which is so famous. And I know John 3.17 is one of Jason's favorite verses. He likes to bring that up. But that verse says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Man, what an awesome picture of God we get right there. He's not into destroying people. He's into rescuing them. You know, like I said, the enemy has spread that lie to a lot of folks. They get mad at God right off the bat, thinking, he's just out to get me. He is not out to get anybody. He's out to rescue as many people as will come, right? So I love that, that verse, you know, God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And in other places, you know, the Lord tells us he desires that none should perish, you know, but that all should come to repentance, so God is not against us. He is for us. And there's no need for us to fear. So man, that's a, that's a great word that David tells him here. And it's a great spiritual word that comes to us from him saying that as well. See, a lot of times we look at David here and he's a picture of the Messiah in a sense because one of the titles of the Messiah is Son of David. 
He comes from his family line. So it's a real easy connection here when you see the Lord working through David, and then you think down the road to what the Lord is doing through the son of David, the Messiah. So as he wants to show kindness to this man who hasn't, you know, he's, the guy's messed up, he is broken, he is shame, in shame, that's his name that he carries with him. David wants to bless him. He's not out to destroy him. Then David said that he would surely show Mephibosheth kindness for Jonathan's sake, you know, which was that covenant that Jonathan had made. So in the same way, the Lord shows us kindness all the time, every day, all through the day, because of the new covenant that Jesus made for us. So it's for Jesus' sake that we're blessed with all God's kindness that we experience every day. And that covenant was made long before we were ever born. Isn't this amazing when you stop and think about these things? Why is God so good to you? It's because of the covenant, the new covenant that Jesus made. You know, it's amazing when you stop and think about uh, what the Lord has done. This passage, like I said, is very rich and you can really meditate in here for a while. And it's really good if you can pray through each one of these two, you know, and, and just say, Lord, thank you so much that you have blessed me every day. Every day you show me your kindness because of Jesus. Thank you so much. You know, next, David didn't stop there. He said that he would restore to him all the land that used to belong to Saul and his family. And this land now is going to be used to grow crops and livestock, and it's going to take care of Mephibosheth's family from this point on. Amazing that he, what he's done there. And we get a spiritual lesson from this too. Because the Lord restores to us what we lost at the fall of man. You know, Adam and Eve, they had eternal life before they sinned, right? They were going to live forever. That was lost at the fall. We lost that. We have been created in God's image. We're supposed to live forever. That's why these bodies continue to heal a lot of times when we get sick. God never intended us to have to die. We were supposed to live. So we lost that. But that's been restored to us. We're not, we're not just blessed with an abundant life here and now but we're given the eternal abundant life that the Lord has given, given back to us. Such an amazing thing. So the things that Mephibosheth had lost and were taken from him, David's restoring, and the Lord's doing that with us too. He's blessed us also. He went even beyond the eternal life that we have, which is pretty amazing in itself. He said he has already given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's amazing. Now, I know we don't notice that when we wake up in the morning and we may not feel any tingling or look in the mirror and not see a glow around us or anything like that, you know, but we take it by faith that what the Lord told us is true. If you're in Christ, he has already given you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in him. That is so amazing. David goes on further he told Mephibosheth that he would eat bread at David's table continually. So that meant for the rest of his life, he would always eat at the king's table. He didn't have to worry that he couldn't work because he was lame. He was always going to be eating, and not just at his own house, maybe in his own quiet corner, but eating at the table of the king. And you know, the Lord promised to take care of all of our needs too. He said, we just simply seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, 
and he'll take care of everything else. Isn't that amazing? And in Luke 22, Jesus said this, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. We've been invited to the king's table as well. We're going to see that one day. We're going to be seated at the king's table. I think it's going to be really cool, you know, if, if David is there and Mephibosheth and and David said, look at this, Mephibosheth, you thought I, my table was something. Check this one out, you know. And we're going to be at that table, too. So amazing. So we are very blessed to be able to not only eat at his table, but Jesus went further, too. Jesus said he's actually going to serve us the meal. And that's a mind-blower in itself, too. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus was telling a parable about when he was going to return, and he said this. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And that's just as amazing that the Lord is going to bring us into his presence. We're going to be seated at the king's table and then the king himself is going to come and serve us. That's just hard to to imagine. Our God is a servant. He has a servant's heart. That's why he calls us to have that servant's heart as well. So if Mephibosheth can believe all those blessings that David has just planned for him, then he should understand that he doesn't have to be afraid. You know, whatever fears you had about, how am I going to make it next week? How am I going to make it next month or next year? Those are gone. Do I have to keep wondering if David's going to come knocking at my door someday and, and put a spear through me or something? No, all of those fears are gone. Because David said, man, I want to bless you for the rest of your life. I'm not after you. I'm not hunting you down. I'm not trying to kill you. And think about how that relates to us too. That's a huge blessing for us. If we can believe all the things the Lord tells us, you know, about these blessings that we just went through here, then we should know that we don't have to be afraid at all either. We don't have to doubt the fact that God is going to take care of us, that he wants to save us and not destroy us. I love going through these because I know the enemy, he comes at us sometimes and and he'll tap you on the shoulder when he thinks he's got a weak weak spot in you and he says, God doesn't really care about you anyway, you know, or look what you did. You really think God wants you in his kingdom, you know? So all of those lies, I love these passages, you just, just tear those things to shreds and say, God loves you. He's not out to destroy you at all. He, He loves you like crazy. And David is a great picture of showing this to, to, uh, to Jonathan's son. So verse 8, here's Mephibosheth. He's been in this place of just hearing these amazing blessings from David. It says, then he bowed himself and he said, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Wow. Can you you relate to that at all? (laughs) You know? Mephibosheth did have a hard time understanding why David wouldn't do all those things for him. He realized, I don't have anything going for myself, and I don't have anything I can offer you. You know, when he calls himself a dog, dogs back then were seen as unclean scavengers. They're not little uh, fifi that we're used to seeing in our culture, you know. They're, they're something that people would say, that's nasty, get that thing out of here. He calls himself that, that low dirty, unclean animal before them. And when he says he's a dead dog, that means besides being that low that he didn't even have anything he could offer to David. You know, a dead dog can't even eat your scraps. So he's saying, I got nothing. 
He saw himself as worthless and insignificant. And I know that's how we view ourselves sometimes. You know, we know that we were not worthy to be saved. And we surely know that we don't have anything to offer to the Lord. So all we can do is come humbly and just accept the grace that the Lord has to offer us and then be eternally grateful. And I know that's hard to accept God's grace sometimes and it's hard to believe all those blessings that the Lord extends to us. Sometimes you wanna just pinch yourself to see if this is all real. But I assure you, it's real and the Lord loves you even more than you could ever imagine. Let's go down to verse nine. The king called to Ziba, Saul's servant. Remember the guy he called up front here to say, is there anybody left from Saul's family? So he calls him back to the front. He says, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. So when we see how large the workforce is that Ziba has between all of his kids and all of his servants, it, it lets us know this property that they're gonna be working must be huge to have this many people work in the land for Mephibosheth's family. You know, so it's interesting how the Lord shows us this. Now this guy, uh, Ziba, is called forward and he's already a servant, so he is put in this position where he's gonna be doing all this work. You think, wait a minute, why is he having to do this if Mephibosheth's gonna be eating at the king's table? This land and everything that comes from it, all of the profit that comes from the work of that land is gonna be there to take care of Mephibosheth's family. So Mephibosheth's gonna be sitting with the king, having dining with him, but his family's gonna have all of their needs taken care of too. What an amazing picture. When the Lord blesses us and he takes care of our needs, it's not just for us, it's also to be shared with others. So we get that picture here too. Now go on to verse 11, it says, Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. So Ziba gives the appearance here of being such a faithful servant himself. Notice he referred to himself twice here as a servant. Now he's going to turn out different later. <laughs> we'll see a different side of this guy. But up front, in front of David, he's going to put up a good show here. You know, I think as he continues to say I'm a servant, that's something that we have to work on all the time. Because in our culture, we are so spoiled and we're so used to getting our own way. We like to go to the restaurant and have others serve us, you know? It takes a real change in us to have the attitude of being a true servant. So that's something that, that always is before us. And it's, it's not just us in our culture. Remember how many times Jesus had to take the disciples aside and say, guys, it's not about being served, it's about serving. <laughs> and he had to keep stressing that lesson for them over and over again. So our culture doesn't help us in that one because it makes us feel like we deserve to be served, not that we're called to be servants. So that takes a little work for us. And this guy, Ziba, at least gives a picture of continually saying he's a servant. That's a good way for us to look at ourselves as a servant. Now the rest of verse 11, it goes on. He says, as for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. 
So David is now elevating Mephibosheth to being on the same level as his own, own sons. So King David saw him now as part of his own family. And did you know that the Lord sees us as his family too? And did you know that the, lo the Lord loves us as part of his own family? Take a look at John chapter 17 for a minute. I want you to see something that Jesus said here that if you haven't looked at it in a while, hopefully it'll, it'll really shock you and encourage you and lift you up because this is a, an amazing thing the Lord says. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> John, seven, John chapter 17 and looking down to verse 20. John 17 and verse 20. Jesus said, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's, that's us. We're part of that group. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one that the world may know that you have sent me, and notice what it says here, you have loved them as you have loved me. Jesus loves you, his child, as much as he loves his own son, Jesus. That's astounding, and it goes on. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it. And notice what it says, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. The Father loves you as much as he loves his son, Jesus. And that is so amazing. You know, if ever you have the enemy picking on you and saying, God doesn't really care about you, you can laugh at that one. Say, well, you know what? When he stops caring about his son, Jesus, that's when he's going to stop caring about me. When he stops loving Jesus, that's when he's going to stop loving me. When's that going to be? Never, ever, 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 ever. So that's one you can laugh at when the devil tells you that. When you say, that's a good joke. <laughs> you know, I, I knew you were going to pull a funny one today. I don't take that one at all, okay? Come back to our passage in 2 Samuel verse 9. I'm sorry, verse 12. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And the Lord just inserts that here, and I think it is so cool that he does that, you know? Here's Mephibosheth who's thinking, I don't have much going for myself. I'm lame and all. And yet the Lord blessed him with a son. And for those of you guys who used to be fans maybe of the old show Rifleman, I'm thinking this is where he got his son's name, Micah. <laughs> so I keep thinking that every time I see this, Micah, I thinking, so that's where the name came from. I don't know. But anyway, pretty cool that Mephibosheth had a son. And the Lord blessed him in that way. And that meant for Mephibosheth that his family line was going to go on. He had a son, which back then was huge. You know, I'm so thankful the Lord just inserted that here. Kind of a little side note. Let us know that Mephibosheth had a family. That is awesome. You know, we don't have to be lonely as a Christian either when you think about it. We can share our faith 
and watch the family grow, <laughs> you know? So we can have a, a bigger spiritual family and we can have, actually feel that we belong to that family because we actually help the family grow. So think about that as we, we have opportunity to share the faith too. So the Lord tells us there he had this son and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. It says, so Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem for he ate continually at the king's table. The Lord keeps bringing this up over and over again. Do you notice? He's going to always eat at the table. He's going to continually eat at the table. He's not leaving that, that situation. He's not going to lose that. And it says, and he was lame in both his feet. So this guy didn't have to hide any longer. He could live openly in Jerusalem. He didn't have to be poor anymore. You know, it's interesting the way the Lord ended this story after all these blessings and everything, and it looks like there's nothing, you know, nothing troubling him at all. He reminds us Mephibosheth was still lame in both feet. Isn't that interesting? So his injuries didn't go away, but he had a much better life now. And you know, you and I, we may have some leftover scars from our life before we came to Christ. You know, we may have some consequences from the sinful things, we, sinful choices we made before we came to know the Christ, but we've got a much better life now than we did before. Isn't that awesome? And we see some pictures of Christ in our passage today. There are some pictures for us in here too that we can see ourselves, And we find that in Mephibosheth. If you want to know a good way to remember that, it's me Phoebusheth, <laughs> so he can see me in here. We were hiding from the Lord. We were poor, and we were lame and fearful before the Lord Jesus came for us. We have no need for that anymore. Just like Mephibosheth was separated from the king because of his evil ancestors, Saul had him on the run, basically, and he's thinking, I'm going to die because my, my grandfather was a king, so that's my fate. So he was separated from the king, he felt, we were separated from our king because of our wicked ancestors, Adam and Eve. Decisions they made. Another one, we separated ourselves from the king because we didn't know him or know about him or his love for us. You know, Mephibosheth, he was hiding because he didn't know David. And he didn't know that David was willing to show him such mercy and grace. You know, and some folks hide out from, from God, I think, because they don't know that either. They think God's out to get them. So they don't want to talk about God. They don't want to go there. You know, that makes them nervous when you even bring it up. But the thing is, if they really knew what God was like, they'd come running to him. They wouldn't run from him, right? Yeah, Jesus also, he came into the world to seek us. You know, just like David went to look for this guy. You know, we weren't looking for Jesus, just like Mephibosheth wasn't looking for David. He was trying to hide from him. Jesus came for us. That's amazing because just like David was looking for him, he was hiding from David and, and we were hiding from the Lord in that sense. And you know, when Jesus came to rescue us, we came to him. Just like David, when he sent from Mephibosheth first, then he came to David. Beautiful pictures here. And we can even learn some lessons or application even from David's example. For one here, we should look for those who are poor, lame and hiding and we should bless them in Christ given the kindness of God another thing we should bless others when they don't deserve it and we should bless them more than they deserve that's what the Lord did for us right we should bless others for the sake of someone else Mephibosheth was blessed for Jonathan's sake we should bless others for Jesus sake right 
David wanted to show the kindness of God to Mephibosheth, just like Jesus wanted to come and reveal the Father and his love to this world and to show us his kindness. And David had Mephibosheth come so he could make him part of the family. And the Lord had us come so we could become part of his family. He wanted to have a relationship with us. That's what it's all about. Isn't this amazing? So I hope this passage really blesses you. I mean, it's, it's an awesome passage, and it's just filled with pictures of God, of his love, of his restoration, of how messed up we were, how lame we were, and yet he loved us anyway. He came for us. So I hope you can share this, man. Share this story with other people. It's an amazing testimony itself. You can witness to somebody just by telling them this story because Jesus is all over it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this passage that you share with us, Lord, and you open to us today. I pray we take these things to heart, that we are the Mephibosheth. That's, That's me. That's us, Lord. And Lord, I thank you so much that you loved us despite us being spiritually lame and all that we had wrong with us and nothing to offer you. And you loved us greatly, and we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for the kindness you showed when you called us to yourself and you came seeking for us. Thank you for allowing us the grace to come to you, and we just give you all the praise. Father, I pray today that you would continually bring these things to our memory all day long, Lord, and possibly all week. Give us opportunity to share this amazing love that you have shown us with other people. And Lord, we just continually thank you and praise you for every single thing you do, all the kindness you show to us every day and every moment. We pray for those who couldn't be with us today because of illness and other things going on in their life. And we ask you, Lord, to encourage them, strengthen them, enrich them in yourself. And we thank you, Lord that you are so amazing and so worthy. And we give all praise, honor, and glory back to you in the precious name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.